From WAMU 88.5, this is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro. Coming up, we paint two portraits of misery. Commuters coping with the red line shutdown. Meet Peter, federal employee. I've tried different things, looking for things that are a little bit quicker. And Omar, night shift at the grocery store, student during the day. It's very, very difficult, but uh, I don't have any choice on this moment. We track their creativity, their resiliency. It's time to travel along the worst of the worst commutes. From sardine can train rides to eternal waits at lonely bus stops. It's episode 24 of Metropocalypse. The DC Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this Customers should expect extended delays and crowded conditions on trains and platforms. And they rely on public transportation to get to their job or jobs. So it's not just a picture of getting to and from school, it's about getting around the city to get to work and to serve their families. We knew it would be painful cutting off tens of thousands of redline riders on the eastern side of the system for three weeks. I mean, what do you expect? The displaced spilled into packed green line trains to get to downtown D.C., or they succumbed to the nightmarish bus bridges between Noma and Fort Totten. Or maybe some rode bikes or walked or just stayed home. For some, it was a comedy of errors, as they guessed which route would be least awful each day. In fact, a little later, we'll introduce you to a federal employee from Silver Spring who chronicled his various miscues on Twitter. But first, I want to introduce you to someone who may plausibly claim to have the worst commute of all. My name is Omar Kumbasa. I'm from Guinea. I've been in the United States since six months ago. Omar lives in Anacostia. He works the graveyard shift midnight to 7 a.m. at a grocery store in Olney, Maryland, 22 miles away. And every morning, Monday through Friday, after that shift ends, he attends English classes at Carlos Rosario International Charter School. Yeah, I speak uh, eight languages, yeah. Uh, they are Landuma, Baga, Fulani, Maninge, Susu, uh, Bambara. And what are the other two languages? English and French. Carlos Rosario is located at the Rhode Island Avenue Metro Station, smack dab in the middle of the Red Line station closures. And between home, work, and school, Omar estimates he spends four to five hours commuting each day. It was always going to be an awful commute for him, but Safe Track Surge number 10 pushed it into a Dante-esque rung of commuting hell. Here's a breakdown of what it takes for him to get to work. From uh, southeast to my workplace, I make uh, sometimes 2 hours, 30 minutes to be there. So to get to his supermarket shift by midnight, he takes a bus from home to the Anacostia station on the Green Line. But I can wait that bus for some time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. When the bus comes, when I get in, when I go to the Anacostia to take the green line, sometimes I can spend a lot of time there for waiting the green line. His normal trip was taking the green line to Gallery Place and then transferring to Red and on to Glenmont. But with part of the red line shut down for safe track, he takes the green line up to Fort Totten instead and transfers there. It should be easy, right? Yeah, when I take the train there again, I go to the Glamour station. When I drop there, I have to wait again the buses. In that time, it was almost uh, 11 p.m. That's a very cold sometime again. But I can wait for the bus uh, sometime for 15, 20, or 25 minutes sometime. 
when I get the bus, the bus take me to the, the Georgia Avenue to the uh, Spartan Road. But I walk there at only in a giant. My gosh. He gets out of work at around 7 in the morning, the time most of us are just leaving for work. But instead of going home to sleep, Omar's just halfway through his day, and the grueling commute continues. Next, he joins the thousands of people commuting back into the city from the Maryland suburbs. He attends daily classes at Carlos Rosario, and when that wraps up at 11.30, he takes the bus back home, where he gets a few hours of sleep, then gets back up and does it all over again. Omar is not your typical commuter. He's not your typical student. He tried to find the job closer to home, but the only one he could find was way out in the suburbs. He makes about $11 an hour at his supermarket job, and with two buses and two trains each way, he says he easily spends $14 a day on Metro. He might be an extreme example, but it underscores the importance of a functioning public transit system to people on low wages, working graveyard shifts, don't own a car, and in this case, balancing work and school. Karen Rivas is the principal at Carlos Rosario, which serves adult English learners in the district. She says most of her students can't afford the train now, so she's not happy about the possibility of Metro raising fares next year. Many of our students tell us that they choose to use buses over trains because of the price point. There is um, a peak and peak of the peak fee that sometimes coincides with when our students are coming to and from school or heading off to work and that can add up very quickly and so many times students tell us they choose the bus over the train because it is less expensive. You know your students very well obviously. What, how would a 25 cent increase on the bus fare affect them? I think any increase in the cost of public transportation um, would negatively impact our student body who works very hard and they live in an expensive city and they support their families. Do they have options to get here other than the train or the bus or is that really the best thing for them? Many of our students do choose to walk or they choose to use a bike share and as a school we're fortunate to be able to offer a shuttle that is limited between our campuses at some times. But we have to remember our students are working adults and so they often leave school and they rely on public transportation to get to their job or jobs. So it's not just a picture of getting to and from school, it's about getting around the city to get to work and to serve their families. A 25 cent bus fare increase may seem reasonable to you, but imagine if you're only making minimum wage like Omar and many of his classmates. Students under the age of 22 actually ride metro bus and rail free during the school year under the school transit subsidy program in the district. The folks at Carlos Rosario International Charter School are lobbying D.C. government to extend those benefits to adult learners. When we continue on Metropocalypse, our second portrait of adversity, adaptation, and yes, the occasional laugh. We'll meet a government worker who's tried every alternative to the red line and chronicled his misadventures on Twitter. This month at WAMU, we're lifting our voices to shine a light on black changemakers throughout American history. Some you know and some you don't, but they all change the world. 
Go to wamu.org slash lifteveryvoice to learn the stories of these incredible African-American changemakers and to hear special interviews spotlighting those who have impacted the arts, sciences, sports, and activism. Go to wamu.org slash lifteveryvoice. Let's meet Peter Howard, federal employee, father of two, lives in Silver Spring, not far from the Forest Glen Red Line Station, 13 miles from his office. Your typical commute used to take? About an hour. And since the Red Line segment shut down? Uh, now it takes anywhere from an hour and 20 minutes to, I think the worst one was maybe an hour and 35, almost an hour and 40. And your feeling is? I can't wait for this to be over. Old Peter and I met one morning right outside the station after he chronicled his commuting woes day after day on Twitter. And I gotta give him some credit. While many of the writers I've chatted with have been downright grumpy in the morning, Peter's tweets found some humor in the midst of the metropocalypse. Each day he tried something new. More often than not, it failed. But he kept experimenting and in the process learned a lot. Last week, Peter and I took a ride and talked about the new normal. Let's head on in. I gotta say, I don't come up to Forest Glen too often. It's a nice station. So before we get to the fair gates, your ultimate destination is Foggy Bottom via Metro Center, but uh, where do you need to get to first? Uh, you need to get to the elevator. We got a train coming in two minutes. We'll take baby steps here, elevator first. Let me get out my card. They're fast elevators. And then on our way to Fort Totten. All right, so Fort Totten is number one. So what is the plan after that? Because you've been trying different things every day. Well, at Fort Totten, uh, get the green line, and that'll take us all the way down to L'Enfant Plaza. To get on the red line for one stop when the trains aren't running very frequently uh, is not a good idea. So. We'll just go all the way to Longfall Plaza and then pick up the orange or blue or silver to Foggy Bottom. That doesn't sound too bad. Maybe that's the most dependable, given the circumstances, the most dependable option. The reliability is important. At the beginning of the safe track, I rode my bike to and from for a couple of days before daylight savings time made it too dark. Uh, I've gotten a ride uh, from a coworker all the way downtown. I drove a couple times. Um, once when I had an evening, you know, appointment that it was just quicker to get to with my car than to take the metro home. Well, I can't say you haven't been experimenting. You, you don't yeah. give up. And then also I've gotten my wife to give me a ride over to Grosvenor uh, to just go down the other side. So why did you keep trying so many different things? Uh, just find something that was, uh, would save me a little bit more time, something that would be a little bit more reliable. Um, and, you know, it also gave me a chance to try new things. I. You know, I've tried jogging home, um, not the whole way, obviously, but it's about, on my bike, it was 13 and a half miles to come home. So that was a nice ride, but not something you're gonna run. But I did jog from my office all the way up to Shaw Howard University, um, which was about three miles. Oh, so you've gotten some exercise. A little. Have you lost any weight? Not that you uh, need to. Not enough, but I've tried different things, just looking for things that are a little bit quicker and you know, give me some new ideas about how to get home. 
Doors opening. Step back to allow customers to exit. Stage two, we've made it to the green line. It's pretty crowded on the train, but it's been more crowded. Last night it was more crowded than this going home, so. So what was your worst nightmare choice of all the choices you've made? Uh, well, the worst has really been just sticking with this regular, you know, the, the green line bridge, just when the green line is stop and go and stop and go and then, you know, more crowded than it is now. So we skipped the bus bridge. Why did you stay away from the bus bridge? I saw your tweet about how long it took and how awful it was, and so I thought, all right, if it's going to be that bad, no way. <laughs> Unless you're going to Rhode Island Avenue and the other station that's closed in there, Brooklyn. Right, let's get philosophical. Peter Howard, what have you learned about yourself through all of this? I've learned that I actually can bike all the way to my office, 13.5 miles. Pretty good. It, you know, seemed, last year it was something I didn't think I could do, but now I've learned that I can do it, so um, that's good. Uh, what else have I learned? I've learned that I'm willing to stick with Metro probably longer than I thought I would because, you know, despite the, you know, annoyance of all of this, it's still better than a lot of other things. I mean, I do like functional public transit. The lights just went out. Hopefully that is not a harbinger of, of things to come. Uh, no. Are the lights out in the station? No, they're on. We're at L'Enfant Plaza. Stage three. The train is dark, but at least it's moving. Peter Howard, it's been it's been real. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I still have another good, yeah, about 25, 30 minutes to go to get over to Foggy Bottom and then walk down to my office. Let us know how the rest of it goes. But I will. You know, for the sake of the podcast, I'm a little upset that there was no chaos. But for your sake, I'm happy it's going. I'm okay. glad it was okay. Yeah. The moral of the story is your commute will be more fun if I ride along. All right, not really. Peter Howard is, like all of us, who are responding to the largest disruption in Metro's 40-year history by thinking about Metro in a whole new light. Metro has put us in, in this position, conditioning us to consider life without it, or just how much our lives really depend on it, and that, in the end, we all need Metro to well, maintain our sanity. Some commuters have already quit taking the train. They just can't take it anymore. But the Peter Howards of the world are riding this out in the hope Metro rewards their patience. Speaking of patience, there will be no new podcast next week. But when we return in December, we'll ask how much patience you have left for General Manager Paul Wiedefeld. He's been here one year already. And in many ways, Metro is different, but to the eyes of everyday commuters, the system is struggling just as much now as it did before he got here. And that does it for episode 24 of Metropocalypse. Big thanks to Omar Kumbasa and Peter Howard for sharing their stories, and to Karen Rivas and Mandy Toomey from the Carlos Rosario School. This episode was produced by Brendan Sweeney with an assist from Maggie Farley. Andy McDaniel is our content director. Alicia Montgomery is our editorial director. 
All the music on Metropocalypse comes from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack. This week you heard tracks by Told and AXB. Metropocalypse's theme song, Fingernail Grit, is by Poddington Bear. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Until next time, I'm Martin DeCaro.